We serve a risen Savior. He's changed everything. He proved it with that empty grave, and we're excited to share it with you. Easter is four weekends away from this, from, from today. It's hard to believe. We're going to have Good Friday services at noon live as we reflect on the cross and also streaming live online. We'd love for you to join us for that if you can. I know a lot of you will be at work that day. A lot of you commute in town. So go ahead and, and gather the, uh, the office pool around and uh, whatever you need to do and, and watch it with us and worship with us. And then we're adding a service this year on Friday night, beginning to celebrate the resurrection on Friday night. That's okay. Jesus is okay with that. We should be living it out every day, right? So we're going to start celebrating on Friday give you more options, more opportunities to bring guests. And so Friday night and then two on Saturday, three on Sunday, and then the all-important bonus service on Sunday, the bonus eight o'clock baptism. If you haven't been baptized, what a great morning to get baptized, all right? So I don't know if it'll be snowing that morning like it was on Wednesday. I don't know if there'll be pollen like there was on Thursday. I'm not sure. Welcome to Georgia. But if it's time for you to get baptized, let's get baptized Easter weekend. And we'll be excited to join that with you. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 today. Jesus is making an important turn in his sermon that we've called the greatest sermon ever because Jesus spoke it, not because I'm speaking today, certainly. But the greatest sermon ever his Sermon on the Mount that we believe he gave many times, but the one that we, where we believe we have the whole thing, he was giving on a mountainside outside the Sea of Galilee, right there on the edge of the water. And so it's referred to as his Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look as he begins to talk about relationships in verse 21. But I want to first share with you a story of my own failure that has to do with today's subject that that I'll just be honest, you may be a guest here today, but we're a family here at Westridge. We're a family on a mission. And so I think to, to share with you a little bit of, of some time where I have let the family of God down, I think would be okay. I, I married my high school sweetheart. We've known each other since middle school, had a, a good friend group all the way through. I, I am a year older than her. I went to college five miles away and she decided she needed space. And so uh, we separated for a while. Uh, great sin in her life during that time, I'm, I'm sure. And um, after she went before God um, and, and realized how awesome I, that I truly am, the, uh, no, sorry, this is off the rails. Uh, she was in the first service, not this one. The, um, we were able to, to get married. We were married very young. I was 21, she was 19, but I had standing at my side, my best man was a guy who had been my friend since middle school. We played sports together. We competed together. Uh, we made each other better. We did so many things, just sharing life. And there's this, my closest friend, he sang at our wedding. He did a great job. He's, he's a super talented guy. He's, he ended up traveling all over the world with his talents and skills and Amazing guy, I still love. About two years after Angela and I had been married, he had come to visit a couple times. We had moved here right after our honeymoon because I was already here helping start Westridge. Angela had been here and now she's all in as well as we've both moved here to, to work with Pastor Brian and, and Amy and, and the rest of the team. And we're, we're starting this church together. And, and so, you know, you go your separate ways from high school friends, right? College friends. And, and so we had played some phone tag and on the, on the voicemail that used to be this like machine that was, would sit on an end table, you had to press play and the, the red light would blink. I don't know if you have this, if you tell your kids about it, it's an important thing. And so I got this, uh, I got a voicemail and finally 
I was able to, to get a hold of him. And I walked outside, standing on the front porch, and I said, hey, what's up? How you doing? Well, I, I need to talk to you. I, um, kind of a big deal. Uh, the way he termed it was, he said, I, I found a church in the, in the town where his job was. And so one of the pastors at the church has, has helped me understand a little bit more about my life. I said, well, that, that sounds great. So tell me about it. He said, well, you need to know something. I said, okay. He said, I'm gay. I said, what are, what are you talking about? And we've known each other at this point for years and years and years. What, what are you talking about? I think I've always been this way. I think I was born this way. Now, I was raised fundamentalist, independent Baptist. That means I'm right and you're wrong um, about everything from who we vote for to where we're having lunch. And I know what we think about this issue. What are you talking about? You, this is not possible. You know what we believe. I know how you were raised. We did this together. We've done that together. We've done so many things together. You absolutely lost your mind. And I'm not sure if he had, but I certainly had in that moment. I lost it in anger. And in a moment, eroded years of trust and friendship down the drain. Which brings us to Matthew 5, verse 21. Jesus is talking. He says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I'm going to read that again. But I say to you that everyone who is angry, you can underline it, you can highlight it, angry with his brother or sister or whoever it may be will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. That would be the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. And whoever says you fool or raka, which is what some of your translations say, will be liable to to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you'll be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you won't get out until you pay the last penny. Jesus has been talking from this on this sermon, he's given us the beatitudes, the beautiful attitudes. He's, he's given us some memorable teaching on salt and light. He's given us what he now has said about the law, that he has fulfilled it, and then he raises the bar on it, and then he starts talking about relationships, and in talking about relationships, he begins by talking about anger. Now, there are very few people that you know who are just absolute tyrants, who just absolutely lose it at the drop of a hat at everything. If they're in the room, don't point because they will get upset and it'll stop the service. That would be weird, so don't do that. There are very few people like that. There are people looking around over here. I'm just going to tell you. I don't know what's happening. But be careful. 
But even if you're not that person, even if you would say, I don't struggle with anger. Come on. Everyone has a button. Right? Everyone has a button. I know because I drive with you on the roads of Northwest Atlanta. Everyone has a button. And for some of you, if someone cuts you off and hits your button, something happens with a finger on one of your hands. I'm not sure what this is. It's this spontaneous thing. I've seen it in the church parking lot, if you want to be honest. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Everyone has a button. I mean, some of you, you go to a restaurant and this poor kid who's at their first job waiting tables that they are bringing you your order and they think it's just fine because they didn't cook it, by the way. They're just bringing it to you. They've refreshed your beverage. They've done everything they feel like you asked and they bring something that someone else handed them or was on a shelf and they bring it to you and you lose your mind because it's not steak, it's salmon. And this is not what I asked for. And where are my mashed potatoes? Please, come on. And this kid, by the time you're done with them, they're in tears going, I don't know, I'm sorry, I'll go fix whatever it might be. Everybody has a button. I didn't know how many buttons I had until I had kids. I mean, really and truly. <laughs> there are multiple buttons, let me just tell you. I have asked you 17 times now to go upstairs and brush your teeth so that we can have a loving moment before you go to sleep. I need you to get upstairs right now, all right? My spouse knows my buttons and I know how to just mess with her. Sometimes it's good, clean fun. I got to tell you, everybody has a button. Let me, I'm going to give you one button that I think everybody has experienced sometime. Okay. As a parent, we're getting in the car, children, especially when they were younger. Let's go get some ice cream. Isn't that a good thing? Dad of the year award. Come on. And we pull into that parking lot with those beautiful golden arches. And we get to the drive-through window. Do you know where I'm going with this? Hello, welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yes, you can. I would like a hot fudge. And before I can get the word Sunday out, I'm sorry, our ice cream machine is broken. <laughs> Listen. This has been going on since I was a child. What is wrong with the McDonald's ice cream machine? Chick-fil-A's ice cream machine is never broken, but they're closed on Sunday and I need ice cream today. I mean, every single one of us have a button. What's yours? And when someone hits your button, you react. And can I tell you, your reaction reveals a condition. It reveals a condition in your heart. There are a couple of different words for anger in the New Testament. One I want to give you is the word perogizmos. It's fun to say. That's why I said it out loud. It's the one that's just when you're irritated, you're mad, you're indignant, you have a little perogizmos going on. And you all know the word perogizmos because you know, even if you don't read the Bible that closely, in Ephesians 4, chapter 26, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your perogizmos. 
Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't, let, don't continue to be upset with the coach, no matter what they did, all right? Don't continue to be upset about the ice cream, no matter how bad you wanted that. Don't, consider to, don't continue to be upset with your, with your spouse or your kids or whatever it may be. Don't let your sun go down on that. Don't go to sleep like that. But there's another word that has the same root word. That's the one Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter five. When he is talking about anger, he's talking about anger that is settled in your heart. It's not just mad and really mad. It's not just angry and really angry. It's a reaction. It's I'm irritable or something has really settled in my heart about this. And the amazing thing is that as Jesus is talking about anger, look where he begins. He begins with murder. What a thing. Because everyone knows that's not okay. From the person in the back with their arms crossed to the person down front who's like all in. He says, you know that if you kill somebody, you're going to be taken to a judge. And then here's what's going to happen. You're going to be found guilty. And everybody's everybody's going, yeah, 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 I understand that. And he says, but hang on, but I say to you. So he's just quoted one of the Ten Commandments, number six. He's combined that with a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 16 about being found guilty in something. And now, so he's taking the law that he's just raised the bar on a few verses earlier. And he says, but I say to you, so you all agree with the law. You all agree with what you've read in the Old Testament. But now I have authority. I have the authority to take this further. And he says, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the religious council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Listen to this. The same judge that found you guilty of murder will issue the same judgment on you if you are angry. If you have anger that is settled in your heart. An anger that says, I am always going to be angry about this or that or that person We all have those external reactions that cause us to lash out, to name call and condemn. But here's what Jesus says. In your anger, you're killing others and you're hurting yourself. Jesus says that anger that is settled in your heart, listen, will murder them and will destroy you. It turns you into a killer. It was 18 years ago I was standing on my front porch. I wish I could tell you the story ended better. I wish I could tell you that I had reacted differently. But in one moment, I eroded years, not even eroded, I destroyed years of trust and friendship and understand this, I lost the ability to speak truth. I lost the privilege of saying what needed to be said, what could have been said in an ongoing way. I lost it in my anger. Anger like this kills relationships. It kills marriages. But it kills relationships of every kind. Listen, everyone loses it at some point. But if you don't own it and you don't change it and it becomes your default reaction, you'll be killing people. 
and destroying yourself. Could be destroying your marriage right now. Marriage can be destroyed when someone is settled in their anger for whatever reason. I'm not validated. I'm not respected. I'm not understood. And instead of getting to the bottom of it, I'm just going to lash out at you. I'm going to make you miserable. I'm going to really in effect with my words, I'm killing you and I'm destroying us. Anger like this can kill parenting. It can destroy relationships with your kids as you're kids grow and they begin to make their own choices and their own decisions. As a parent, you're losing control. You're supposed to be losing control, by the way. But you're, as, you're, as you're doing that, some when they make a decision that is something you disagree with, or you would say, I didn't raise you to be like this. So you decide you're going to lose control as a way of trying to grab hold of control. And ultimately, you're losing your relationship with your kids. You don't have to put your hands on a child to do damage. And sometimes students and kids do the same thing. A young man or woman, you can feel completely misunderstood by your parents and you might feel like you have the right to lash out and to unleash healthy emotions on parents who honestly, they love you. They were doing the the best they knew how. Listen, Jesus is raising the bar on the condition of our hearts because the consequences are so severe. Some have said, Jesus is exaggerating. He's making a point. He's comparing murder and anger. Of course he's exaggerating. Is he? I'm not sure he's exaggerating at all because I've seen, I've witnessed, I've been a participant in anger, killing, killing relationships and destroying what was once good and pure and true and lovely. And for some of you, I know Anger has been planted down deep in you. I understand. You were wronged. You were insulted. You were cheated on. You were abused. And you've tried to push it down. You've tried to suppress it. But can I tell you, it erupts. And eventually it will erupt completely. You're going to hurt others. You're going to hurt yourself. Jesus' little brother James takes it a little bit further. James chapter 1, verse 19. He says, know this, my beloved brothers... Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is slow to be settled in your anger. For the anger of man, settled anger, anger in your heart, does not produce the righteousness of God. Quick to hear, be slow to speak. But don't let your opinions get settled in your heart because it does not produce the character of God. Look at what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12. He says, pursue peace with all men and the, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many might be defiled. Do you see what he's saying here? The, the writer of Hebrews says there's so much more at stake here. He says you need to pursue peace with people and you need to pursue peace with God because if you don't you're going your bitterness and your anger is going to send many many people away from the faith I mean failing to react the right way and hurting others is always a tragedy but for too many who name Jesus as their savior this has become the norm we've become an angry people in many pockets 
We get a settled anger in our hearts toward political parties, towards pop culture, and we spout off angry, self-righteous opinions without building any relationships or having any trust. We become known more for what we are against than what we are for. And can I tell you something? When you allow your opinions to override the gospel, you're participating in the spiritual death of everyone in your wake. You're becoming a serial killer. You know what I would love? I would love if hundreds and hundreds of Christ followers would go to the social media of their choice and would type, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my political opinion has been made to look more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry that I decided to spout off about a fictional movie, about a princess and a beast that I had not even seen to make it sound like that God would not love every single person in the movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I got so upset about a fictional story about a man in an extreme moment of grief who finds himself in a shack in the woods with a weird God character. I'm sorry that I discounted his grief so much that I made it sound like God would not love him in any experience that he had. As, listen, I know why you're not clapping. As Christ followers, when we put anything in front of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we become killers. What are you afraid of? Can I tell you something that I wish I had known 18 years ago? Love is not an endorsement. Grace is not an endorsement. Mercy is not an endorsement. God Almighty extended it to you and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't endorse our sin. He loved us in spite of it. Perhaps the Hebrews 12 challenge to pursue peace comes directly from the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. At Westridge, this is a passage we've talked about for years and really since the very beginning, we've actually applied this to communion. And if you've been in our partnership class, you know that. We talk about if you come to communion and you remember that someone has something against you or that you have someone against them, you, you need to go pursue peace with that person. But it's about so much more than that. It's not just about pursuing peace. It's about coming to worship the right way. Because how are people both inside and outside of the church supposed to view us if we're holding anger in our hearts towards other people? You can be angry, you can be vicious, you can be constantly irritable and negative and and still come to worship. Of course not. The author of Romans tells us we're to be living sacrifices. Our everyday walking around lives are to be acts of worship to a God who leads with love. That's how we're supposed to live. That's how we're supposed to react. We're to lead with love. 
But there is a time for the right kind of anger with the right kind of motives. And Jesus puts that on display. And some of you are so excited right now. I know this is it. This is where I can be angry. Again, I grew up, I grew up in churches where two of our favorite words were righteous anger. I mean, come on. We know that Jesus did it. It's in there somewhere, right? Actually, towards the beginning of his ministry, his first Passover in John chapter two, it says this, says Jesus actually did get angry. The Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them out all of the temple, got, got rid of them with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written in the old Testament zeal for your house will consume me. What is he upset about? Is he upset about rush t-shirt sales? No. Is he upset that they're charging for coffee. No, people get clean water because of that. You'll be all right, okay? It's all, it, it's all good. Is it? No, they're charging people for worship. They were required to have the sheep. They were required to have the oxen. If you couldn't afford them, you were required to have a pigeon, two pigeons. And so they are gouging people and preventing them from coming to worship. What is Jesus upset about? Jesus has anger, and this is the kind of anger settled in your heart. Jesus has anger anytime anyone is prevented from coming to know him. Any, anytime somebody puts a barrier up and says, you're not welcome here, you don't belong here, you gotta jump this hurdle before you come here, Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not gonna have any of that. In fact, he gets angry with that kind of talk. There's another time where he gets angry. It's on a Sabbath day. Mark chapter three tells us about this. Mark chapter three, verses three, four, and five says this. He says to a man with a withered hand, come here. And all the Pharisees and Sadducees, all the church leaders are standing around. They want to see what he's going to do on the Sabbath. And he says to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill it? Anybody want to answer this question? They didn't either. They were silent. And he looked at them with anger, a settled anger in his heart grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. What was Jesus so angry about? Jesus had settled anger in his heart and he always has anger in his heart when people are less important than policies. Jesus is, always has settled anger when people are treated unjustly. He always is angry when the poor are treated unjustly. Jesus is always angry about sin. But can I tell you about the sin he's angry about? He gets angry about sin in the church. He gets angry about sin among his people who ought to know better. He gets angry about how things are happening inside the church with church leaders. Jesus got angry at the grave of Lazarus about the culture as a whole. He was grieved by it. He was angry that sin had even entered the world. But listen, God's wrath in the Bible is never self-indulgent or irritable the way human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction, one author says. So I was raised in the church. There was great affection for two words. You might know what they are. Righteous anger. Such, such great affection for that. Well, I can be angry. It's righteous anger. I can say whatever I want. 
It's righteous anger. Let me ask you about your righteous anger. Does it, does it hit the qualifications? Does your righteous anger further God's purposes or just yours and your opinion? Does your anger demonstrate a trust that God is sovereign and in charge of your circumstances down to the smallest detail? Don't allow your anger to contradict your confidence with God. And can I give you one last thing about your anger? It has to meet this criteria. Does your anger lead with love? Righteous anger is never about revenge, never wishes for harm. It always leads with love. In 2013, a, a black man by the name of Brent Campbell was the captain of the track team at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And he's out, he's a captain. He's out doing extra work. He's out on the track practicing and five white guys in a pickup truck pull up onto the track and they begin yelling racial slurs at him for no reason. Just every word in the book, everything they can think of. One even came back for extra. I don't know what his deal was. I don't know if they were inebriated. I don't know what the deal was. And so an investigation started on campus and Brent said, listen, if you find them, here's what I would like to have happen to them. He says he sat down and wrote a letter. It took him 17 minutes to write a letter. He says expulsion would be the easy fix, but it wouldn't be the solution. The problem is that they have never been in community with black people before. He has only ever seen me. He has never known me. If he knew me, truly knew me, he would never have done these things. I know he wouldn't. If he were found, I would ask that the punishment would be, here it comes. I would ask that the punishment would be to get to know me. He should be forced to meet with me once a week for a month over lunch or dinner. This isn't an empty suggestion to, be sound, to sound caring or altruistic. I mean it. I mean it down to my core. The reality is that knowledge and love have the power to change a heart more readily than discipline or punishment. What a powerful word. I was saddened, as we all were in 2015, with the terrorist attack that happened in Paris. The Bataclan Concert Hall was broken into and terrorists killed many, many people that night. They killed a woman who was out with her girlfriends at the concert hall. Her name was Helene. And her husband, Anton, wrote an open letter to the terrorist. Here's what he said. Friday night, you took an exceptional life. The love of my life. The mother of my son but you will not have my hatred. I will not grant you the gift of my hatred. You're asking for it. But responding to hatred with anger is falling victim to the same ignorance that has made you what you are. You want me to be scared, to view my countrymen with mistrust, to sacrifice my liberty for my security. You lost. We are just two, my son and me, but we are stronger than all the armies in the world. I don't have more time to devote to you. I have to join Melville, who is waking up from his nap. He is barely 17 months old. He will eat his meals as usual. Then we're going to play as usual. 
And for his whole life, this little boy will threaten you by being happy and free. Because no, you will not have his hatred either. Righteous anger always leads with love. And this kind of reaction, this kind of love, it might save your marriage. It might save your kids. When it sinks into your heart, changes your reaction, it might just save your life. Now I know a few of the counselor tricks, right? If you deal with anger, right? That person cuts you off or you ordered something different or ice cream machine is broken. I've practiced this, right? A couple of the tricks. Take a deep breath. Count to 10 before you hurt somebody, before you say what you were really thinking. That sounds so sweet, doesn't it? While you're taking your deep breath and while you're counting to 10, would you be reminded he loves me? He loves me. He loves me. You see, love might just save your life, but in truth, it already has. Because the wrath of Almighty God was satisfied by the love of God. Was God angry with sin? You better believe it. So God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. That's how he dealt with the sin in the world. He leads with love. So we can too. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you might say, I'm an atheist. I'm agnostic. I've, I've cussed out God. I've done everything I can to let him know that I'm not for him, that I'm against him, that I don't believe he's the real thing, that his followers are frauds. If you've done all of it, can I just tell you he loves you? You say, I've tried to destroy my life. I've tried to destroy others. I'm the meanest person in this room. Can I tell you, he loves you. He created you. He wants to call you his own. If you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Would you just reach out to him if the spirit of God is prompting you to do that right now? Would you reach out to him and pray in your own, in your own words? God, I'm so sorry for my sins, for how I've missed the mark, for how I've messed up. And I'm so thankful to realize today that you love me anyway. That you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me to take away my sins. And he's risen again. That's, that's amazing. That I could have life. 
God, I give my life to you now. I don't even know everything that it means, but I reach out to you now. If you're here today and you prayed to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then just however you understand it today, would you please let us know so that we can help you take your next steps? You received a card coming in. If you didn't receive it, you can get one at the end today at the tables in front of the fountain in the atrium, our help center. Take that card and fill it out and say, today, there's a box for you to check there. Today, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. If you're here today, Christ follower, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you have been guilty, as I have been before, of being a killer, would you confess it right now? You might have somebody you need to go to as soon as this service is over. It might be your spouse. It might be your kids. It might be in your small group. It might be on your street, wherever it may be. Before you come back and worship again, you may need to make it right. Make it right with him first. Some of you have been hurt. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He knows. He's sorry. But he loves you with an everlasting love. God, would your love heal our hearts? Would you wash over us? Would you teach us to love, to lead with love? Show us when it's right to be angry and when it's right to be silent. God, may we put you on display with how we react in every circumstance, every day. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we go today, I have something really important that I want to discuss with our family here. It's about Easter. I want to challenge every single one of you to be thinking and praying about right now. I know, I know you already have somebody that you can invite to come with you. You are offered these cards on the way in. It says, come sit with me. You're like, wow, I'm not sure I want to do that. I mean, that they, I'd love for them to come to church, but do they have to sit with me? I'd love for them to hear about Jesus's love, but I don't have to be there, do I? I mean, that's a different deal. Let's, let's talk about that, okay, another week. Um, come sit with me. We left some white space on the back with the service time, so you can circle a time and say, hey, come, I'll meet you out there, and we're, we're gonna sit together and love to have you. Friday night, you say, I'm, they're going to grandma's house. Not Friday night, they're not, I guarantee you. Grandma's asleep during this service, okay? So come Friday night, uh, Saturday We've got options. Sunday, come on. There are 357,000 people within a 20-minute drive of this church. And somewhere north of 85% of them do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. I think we can get a few. To whom much is given, much is required. I think he wants us to go get them because he loves them. From looking at our attendance in kids ministry, particularly and even in student ministry, here's what we think. 
We've come to believe that there are 13,000 people that call Westridge their church home. And you know them because you see them at the grocery store or they're, they're your neighbor. And they say, you go to Westridge? That's awesome. I go to Westridge. Really? When were you there last? Easter. I couldn't make it to Christmas. Our prayer and our hope is that we will bring them back and that the message will stick a little bit more this time and that the relationship they have with Jesus would grow and that they might find a home here as part of the family of God, his beautiful bride, his church. Now we as a church have got to do something to make this happen. And this is an opportunity that we get once a year unlike any other. So here's what I want to ask you to do before you leave today. We've got three Sundays to do this, but I want to ask you to do it today, all right? We have put circles on the walls. You guys are doing such a good job looking around. That's fun to watch from up here, can I just tell you? I'm proud of you because I feel like you're with me. Are you with me? So here's what I want you to do. Our host team has Sharpie markers. We're going to let you write on the walls, children. Write in the circles, okay? Don't get any crazy ideas. And I want you to write their name down. And I want you to pray over them. I want you to pray for them for the next three weeks. And I want you to take a step and I want you to take action. We know that about 80% of the people that you actually invite will actually come. And we're giving them plenty of services to try. He loves them. Do you believe that? He loves you. Do you believe that? Let's try this again. Hang on. The service is over because y'all not talking. (laughs) He loves them. Do you believe that, church? With everything he's got. I would love for some of you to be sitting Easter weekend with the one that you're not hoping to be sitting by, but you're hoping they get Jesus. Bring them and put them right next to you and worship with everything you've got and show them that you love him because he loves you. He loved you first. Do you believe that church? He does. So before you leave today, write their name down. Let's pray over them. Let's ask God to do more than we could ever ask for or imagine in the next four weeks. We love you. Grace and peace. You're dismissed.